Good morning. Welcome to our service today. We're so glad you're here with us. I hope you had a happy Easter. It was so good to see so many of you last week. And we look forward to seeing more of you in the coming weeks as we move to having outdoor services regularly. And we are going to continue our sermon series in the Book of Romans. And today we're going to be in Romans 12, which begins a new section. Chapters 1 to 11 might have seemed a little heavy. It had a lot of doctrine and the theological foundations of the Christian life. And Romans 12 is a little lighter as we begin to look at how we live and what we do in response to what Jesus has done for us. And for the next several weeks, we're going to build on the theology and look at the practical applications in Romans 12 to 15. And it's important to hold on to the theology and the truths that we've been unpacking over these last several months. We have to remember that we are saved by God's love and grace and not by anything we do. We don't do good or obey God's word. We don't apply God's word because we want to earn God's favor or we want to save ourselves or be good enough for God to love us. We do it in response to what Jesus has already done. None of us deserves God's love. None of us can earn it. And yet, Jesus loved us so much, he died for us and rose again on that first Easter. God took the initiative to bring us into a relationship with him. It's a great gift. God gave us the gift of grace, of unconditional love, of adoption as his beloved children, of new life and the Holy Spirit. And when a child receives a great gift, he naturally wants to just open it, play with it, and enjoy it. It's a great gift. He might not say thank you right away, but children easily learn that gratitude is the proper response to a great gift. It's not really natural for a child to receive a gift and say, hmm, that's interesting, and set it aside. You would be surprised if your children did that. A great gift elicits a response of joy and gratitude. So after 11 chapters of describing the great gift that we have in Jesus, Paul introduces these how-to-live chapters with two powerful verses. And he first reminds us that we live in response to God's grace. He says, therefore, in view of God's mercy. And even if you've seen these verses many times, I hope today that you have a better context for how great God's mercy really is. As we've looked at the first 11 chapters of Romans, we have a better sense of God's great mercy. So let's look at Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And you might love these two verses, or not. Maybe they make you feel inadequate. And that's okay, as we've seen all along in the book of Romans, it's not about our ability 
or our power to do good. It's about God and his redeeming, restoring power in us and the Spirit's power to change us. It's a response of faith in what God can do because of what Jesus has already done. And verses 1 to 2 uses a string of notable phrases, living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, true and proper worship, do not conform but be transformed, the renewing of your mind. And all of those phrases point to one big idea about how we are to respond to God's grace. First, we are called to live purposefully for God. In response to God's mercy, we live with purpose. We live for God. And for the Roman church, this meant that they couldn't just keep on doing what they had always done before Jesus came. And for us, the church today, it means we can't just conform to what other people do. For the Roman church, what they used to do before Jesus came was to offer sacrifices. That was the way God had instructed them to take care of sin. And the idea of a living sacrifice is in contrast to the Old Testament sacrifices of a dead animal. This is what the Jews who were listening or reading Paul's message to the Romans, this is what they would think of. They offered a dead animal to pay for their sins, to receive forgiveness in the Old Testament before Jesus came. But because of Jesus, we don't offer dead animals anymore. And Paul calls us a living sacrifice instead. He's making a contrast between a dead animal, a passive dead animal who has no choice in the matter, versus us, alive, active, aware of what's going on, and able to choose to lay ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice, to live for him. And this is your true and proper worship. When we think of worship, we think of singing and going to church. But we know that the bigger idea of worship is not just about singing. We sing in order to acknowledge God's goodness, his greatness, to praise him and adore him. And true worship is recognizing who God is, worshiping him in our everyday lives, not just on Sunday. We're called to live purposefully, putting God first every day in all that we do and think, in what we value. We live with purpose in where our attention, our time, our energy, our money, our effort, our thoughts go. Putting God first is one of the ways we don't conform to the world around us. And we're called to live purposefully, with a purpose that's different from everyone else. Think about this question. Are you a zebra or a chameleon? And which would you rather be? We all know a zebra is, you know, that animal with the big, bold, black and white stripes that stand out on the African plains. A chameleon is a lizard, and its outstanding feature is that it can change colors to fit into its environment. And that's the ultimate in conforming, to be able to change physically, to fit in, to not be seen. And in most of us, there is a social chameleon, an ability to adjust our behavior, to fit in. Have you ever found yourself getting louder with loud people? Or slowing down with calm people, or mimicking someone's accent or speech patterns. 
And sometimes we're not even conscious of the ways we conform to the people around us. We're social chameleons. But sometimes we conform on purpose. Last Sunday was Easter. It's the first time we, would, we gathered for worship in over a year. And I thought a lot about what should I wear. And I had to think, what did I used to wear to church over a year ago? And I wanted to fit in, but it's Easter, so are people going to dress up? But it's also outdoors, so are people going to be more casual? The main thing for me, though, was that I was going to be on my feet most of the morning, so I had to wear walking shoes. And I decided to dress down, to dress more casually. Plus, I had on the yellow vest for the safety team so people could see me, so I really felt kind of zebra-like, like I stood out. But it was okay, because my purpose on Easter morning can't be about what I look like or what I wear. I enjoyed seeing people talking, laughing, worshiping together, being in God's presence together. And maybe you noticed what I wore. Some of you wore beautiful Easter dresses. John Tower wore a suit. But it really didn't matter so much. We're called to live purposefully. And sometimes that means we have to stand out. And we have to be different. It means being a zebra. And it's more than in what we wear or what we look like. Be a zebra in how you live for God and how you worship him above all else, even if it makes you stand out. Don't just conform and be a chameleon. Be a zebra in the way you don't conform to the world around you. And by the way, in case you're wondering and getting distracted thinking about why zebras have stripes, I looked it up for you. Zebras have those stripes because lions are colorblind and they can't see black and white. But the wavy stripes fit in with the tall grasses around the zebra. So stop thinking about that. Don't worry about what lions see. Think about zebras and how they look to us. Because sometimes as a Christian, you have to be a zebra. You have to look different and stand out. Because we love Jesus, we choose to follow him, to obey his word, to be his disciples, to pursue kingdom living, even when it's not popular and it makes us look different. Our priorities and our values are different. And sometimes we're going to be different in the way we look, dress, talk, act, work, or parent. Even though we want to fit in, we should be different in the way we give, in being people who sacrifice, worship, live for God, live by faith, with purpose. We're called to live purposefully because we know who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And our purpose is to live for God, to not live like the world lives, to worship and put him first in our everyday lives, and to not conform to this world and to the people and the culture around us. And in the rest of the book of Romans, Paul is going to spell out what we are to do. And he's going to talk a lot about serving and loving others. Because living for God is not something we do alone, by ourselves. We can all think we're great Christians in isolation. But the struggle and the challenge is with others, in relationship, and especially in the context of the church. We struggle in relationships with people because it's hard to be kind and patient with people we don't like, 
to embrace unity in our diversity, to give grace and to forgive, and to commit to serving regularly in ministries. It's hard sometimes to be disciples, to pursue kingdom living. And we'll talk more about all of that in the coming weeks as we look at Romans 12 to 15. But the first key idea here in these two verses is that we are called to live purposefully for God. And the second part of that is that living with purpose starts in your mind. It starts with what you put in your mind, which leads to what you think. And what you think influences what you do, how you behave, and the choices and decisions you make. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And God's will is that we live for him, that we be transformed and be changed. The way that change happens is that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. To renew your mind is to think differently, to take in thoughts that conform not to the world's ways, but that conform to God's ways and God's word. And sometimes that's hard to see, to discern and distinguish when the world's ways are not exactly what God wants. Sometimes it's nuanced and subtle. But to renew your mind is to have a continual source of input that influences you to think about God, to live for God, to think about Jesus and the Spirit and the Gospel and the Bible, to have a mind that's willing to make zebra choices instead of always being the chameleon. And we saw the importance of what goes on in our minds back in Romans 8. And scripture over and over tells us that our thoughts and our mindset are important. Romans 8, 5 to 6 says, Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And you might recall that Pastor Eric talked about this several weeks ago. He told us that if we will think about the Spirit more, be more aware of the Spirit's presence, that it would change us. And if you tried to do that even for a day, I'll bet your day was a little different. Another familiar verse is in Philippians 4, verses 8 to 9 says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And we can be people of peace. We can be people with that sense of wholeness, shalom, inner peace, Peace with God, peace with other people. Doesn't that sound wonderful? It starts with our minds, with our thinking. And we can be transformed in what we think and the way we think. We tend to passively just think about whatever comes into our attention, what we see and hear, whatever's going on around us. Or sometimes we let our unhealthy feelings of anger, hurt, shame, we let those things take charge and influence what we think and how we act. 
and they produce unhealthy thoughts and behaviors. We can be changed by choosing to give attention to what comes into our minds and how we process it. And the fascinating thing about this is that science and brain research are beginning to confirm that what the Bible has always said is true. Brain science now tells us that repeated thoughts create neural pathways in our brains. And those neural pathways lead to automatic behaviors. And that's why you can drive home on automatic pilot and sit in your driveway and think, how did I get here? Or it's also why certain people or places or smells can trigger emotions. It's why certain words or actions will lead you to have the same argument over and over with your parents or your kids or your spouse. Modern psychology and cognitive therapy, therapy recognize that we have those automatic behaviors, automatic thoughts, and that we can change them. We can create new neural pathways and develop new habits, but it takes effort and commitment. And we can develop new neural pathways and thinking and behavior in our spiritual lives too. And it takes time and effort and commitment. The Bible tells us to live and think with purpose. And we can do that. We can offer our lives back to God. We can worship him with our whole heart in our everyday lives. We can live for him with purpose. And it starts in our minds. In his book, Winning the War in Your Mind, Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life, Craig Rochelle says this, Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we think will shape who we become. What we put in our minds comes out in our lives. Every action we take, every word we say, and every attitude we express originates in our thoughts. But what's crazy is how little attention we give to what goes into our minds. If you want to change your life, you have to change your thinking. So think about your thinking for a minute. What do you think about? On a typical day, are your thoughts more filled with worry or with hope? Think about your self-talk, those conversations that go on in your head, those thought loops. Is your self-talk usually negative and putting you down? Or is it positive and moving you forward? Who do you think about? What do you obsess about? Are your thoughts usually healthy or unhealthy? Are they Christ-centered or self-centered? And here's the non-conforming, renewing your mind question to consider. What influences your thinking? Who or what informs your thoughts? On a typical day, I check my phone and my newsfeed and my social media dozens of times, probably more than that. I do it to take a break from work. I do it just when I'm bored, habitually, just at random times throughout the day. And I scroll through titles of articles and pictures, and I click on the ones that catch my attention. 
And this is what feeds the algorithm that chooses the pictures and the articles that go into my newsfeed and the order in which they go. I don't get the same pictures or articles that you do, and they're not in the same order as yours. I get very little sports. I never see anything about mountain bikes. And I don't really notice the trends, unless I think about it. And there are a lot of articles or pictures that sound almost exactly the same. For a while, there were a lot of political articles and coronavirus articles because I wanted information. I'd click on those because I wanted to see what was out there. But those articles and pictures always have a subtle push to a point of view. And we can start to think that these people are right and those people are wrong. And if we're not aware of it, we can start to think those people are idiots and forget that they're humans, too. We can start to think, I should only like these people. I should only listen to them. And we can even start to stress with them, to invest emotionally in their issues, to think their issues are so important, even if they're peripheral to my everyday life. We can start to invest emotionally, to side with them, to think their issues are important, and sometimes even more important than what the Bible says, than what we know God's word tells us. The algorithms in our newsfeed reinforce our views, and we hear the same thing over and over, and a lot of the times the people we talk to have those same views, so we hear them more and more. And it pushes us to conform. In a way, we've given them permission to form our view of the world and who we are and what we think. I've noticed lately that there's an increase of articles in my news feed about home decor, household items under $25 that are on sale on Amazon.com right now, and advice about what women over 50 should and should not wear. And if I'm not aware of it, I can start to feel insecure, to think my home and my clothes are drab, and I need those things. I have to buy those things right now. And if the main influence on your thinking is from your phone and what's in your social media, you're going to conform to this world. The algorithms are designed to reinforce what you already think about, how you already think. So whatever you are, your social media, your newsfeed is going to make you more of that more materialistic, more insecure, more self-centered, more angry or judgmental, more stressed. So what leads to the renewing of your mind? This is really not a hard question. It comes from spending time with God, from his word and prayer, and being with other believers. And we've talked about this and maybe you tune it out every time we talk about it because it's not as fun as picking up your phone and scrolling through what's on your phone. Renewing your mind takes effort and intentionality. It takes commitment and purpose. Renewing your mind comes from Scripture, reading and reflecting on what the Bible says, Scripture meditation. It comes from prayer, telling God what you need, listening for God's voice. It comes from journaling, praising God, worshiping, listening to worship songs, thinking about things with God. 
It comes from community, talking about life with friends who also love Jesus, from Zoom meetings, discussing issues, discussing the sermons, from small groups, talking about what's going on in your life and sharing prayer requests. In whatever ways you turn your thoughts to God, you open up space for the Spirit to come in and transform your mind, your thinking, your heart, your desires. You turn from conforming to what's popular in the world to filling your mind with spiritual things, to offering your life back to God, to thinking about His purposes and worshiping Him. And here's the way to do it. This is what's helped me and many Christians to begin to renew our minds. One, if you don't already have a regular time where you spend time with God, start there. Read some Bible verses. Think about what it says. Talk to God about what's on your mind. If you will carve out some time to regularly spend with God, you will be changed. You will allow the Spirit in to transform your mind, your heart, and then your will and your behavior. Don't get legalistic about it. Don't feel guilty if you don't do it every day. You will fall asleep a lot, get distracted, get bored, fail to do it, stop, and hopefully start again. You might not feel like anything is happening, but over time, if you keep coming back to it, you will be changed. Two, if you already have a regular time that you spend with God, maybe reading something and praying through a prayer list, here's your next step. Spend some time with God without an agenda or a list. Think about God. Think about your life from God's viewpoint, maybe as you drive or walk or run or bike or as you wash dishes or do laundry or wait in line. Maybe you'll sit still and light a candle, or sit in your garden and enjoy God's presence. Or maybe you'll listen to worship music. But for five or 10 minutes, or 20 or 30 minutes, or however long you have, let your mind wander with God. Let him into whatever you're thinking, whatever is going on with you. And don't be embarrassed if what you're thinking is Angry thoughts, impatient, lustful thoughts. God already knows about all that. And really, those are the best thoughts to let God into, to allow the Spirit to change. You can invite God in and tell Him all about it. Ask Him to help you. And if you do it once, and then again, and then over and over, you will be changed over time. Three, have someone or a group of someones that you talk to about God, about the things in your life. It might be a group of friends or one or two friends that you feel comfortable talking with. Join a small group and don't just attend. Be engaged, be honest, share what's going on with you. Share what you're thinking, ask questions, listen and learn from the wisdom of the people around you and seek to grow. I know a lot, but I'm continually challenged and redirected by the people in my small groups. They give us strength to not conform. They give us new ideas and new ways of thinking 
and they help us transform our lives. We are transformed with others. Ask me if you want to join a small group or create one. Sometimes it takes a long time to find a group of people that you feel comfortable with. But over time, if you put in the effort and you keep on trying and don't give up, you will be changed in the community of God's people. And let me reassure you that transformation will happen, but it happens over time. Transformation is a word that sounds quick and immediate, but for most people, it takes time. It's a long obedience in the same direction. That's the title of a book by Eugene Peterson, and it's a good book, but I really just like the title. The Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. It's okay if you don't feel like anything's happening, if you don't feel like you're making any progress. And there really are no shortcuts or life hacks to make it quick and easy. The Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. But as you take steps, as you obey, as you move in God's direction, transformation will happen over time. The Holy Spirit will be there in you and will change you and transform you. It will happen as you take steps and move in God's direction. Live with the purpose of putting God first, of worshiping him above all else in your everyday life. Don't just conform. Be a zebra sometimes. And start with thinking about your thinking. Be transformed as you seek to live with purpose. We're going to sing the song, Touch of Heaven. And it's a song we've sung before. It expresses the desire of our hearts for more of God, to live with purpose, to know God and to live for him. And I hope that's the desire of your heart. But if you're not there yet, I hope you'll listen to the words, that you'll sing them as a prayer and ask God for the desire to know him more, for the desire to live for him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great mercy, for your grace and your love, for all that you've done and for your transforming power in our lives. We ask you for help to think about our thinking, to make changes that we can make so that you can come in and change us, transform us. We ask you to remove whatever fear or doubt gets in the way for us. Help us to spend time with you. Help us to let you into our thoughts and our lives. Help us to find people that will help us grow. We want to live for you, to live purposefully for you. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.